Welcome to the Julia Curated Podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Julia. And hi, I'm this week's guest co-host, Julie, with That's So Classic. And we are talking all things White Christmas. We aim to tell a little bit of the lesser known facts about the beloved film, like did you know that Rosemary Clooney, who plays Betty, is actually George Clooney's aunt? Or that Vera Ellen, who plays Judy, didn't actually sing any of the songs. She was lip syncing the whole time, but she more than made up for that with her incredible dance moves. So for this week's episode, we want you to make a lovely cup of hot chocolate, slip on your favorite pajamas, and snuggle in as we delve into the surprising, whimsical, hysterical holiday classic, White Christmas. First, let me just say hi, Julia. I'm so happy that you're here. And for those of you who might not know, Julia runs the Vintage Infused page at that's.so.classic, where she delights in showcasing all vintage style, old Hollywood glamour. And it is a visual feast for the eyes if you are a vintage lover like I am. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I mean, it is one, you have such a good way of like showcasing the beautiful aspects. I mean, and it's the way that you curate your page is very special. Cause as you know, there's a lot of like vintage Hollywood, old Hollywood Instagram, yes. right? So many. <laughs> but they just have a way of only showing one thing, right? right. One thing, they one do. thing only. And I love your page because it shows like fashion, it shows home, it shows movie clips, and it just gives you a real sense of looking back at a time through a lens that's organized and beautifully, beautifully done. I'm so thankful you said organized because sometimes I feel like it's a little bit of goulash. (laughs) For me, I want to show all aspects of vintage, not just the Hollywood, because at the end of the day, most of us are just everyday people. And I almost want to present it through the lens of a person who was just an everyday person who lived back then. And there was Hollywood, there was fashion, there was your everyday people, old photographs, Mm -hmm. just the whole just the whole pie, not just one piece or one slice of it. And I think, I mean, to kind of piggyback on what you're saying, I Mm -hmm. think the more fascinating history always comes from the average people. Right. It does because they're real stories. Right. Yeah. It's not Hollywood. It's not a script that's most of the time um, fiction. Exactly. Okay. So how this whole thing came about is that Julia shared a beautiful reel of why she is so drawn to vintage and old Hollywood. And it really resonated with me. So can you tell us a little bit of your backstory of how you became focused in on vintage when it hit you and how you, (laughs) how you kind of like use that in your daily life? I know you love a red lip. Oh goodness. That is, if, if I didn't wear any other makeup, red lip would be the one (laughs) thing they say, what can you not go without in your makeup bag or makeup it is it is always a red lip (laughs) now do you have a favorite brand and color um I have a few brands that I kind of they're my staple so best of May cosmetics Mm -hmm. um they they actually took real formulas that were from back then or the true colors and they recreated them just with healthier um ingredients and cruelty free etc but what I love about that is you really have a true lip color from like say 1941 or 1946, 1920. So these are real, the real shades that they had back then in that particular 
year. That's why they always yeah. have a year for them. So for me, I'm usually wearing uh, what's called 1941 Victory Red, be 1946 Red Velvet. Oh, so, I love all of this. Me too. <laughs> Besame Cosmetics opened up a whole new door and they sell other um, products as well, like powders. And um, I think they now have nail polish, eyeshadows. They've really expanded since when I first discovered them. And a little, little um, trivia is I don't know if you're familiar with Agent Carter from Marvel. She's like 1940s era. Yeah. And um, she was Captain America's girlfriend. The actress, Haley Atwell, they had her wearing the Bessame lipsticks all through the show. So it's like, it just, I don't, it makes it so much more uh, personal because it's like, hey, there's my lipstick. <laughs> yes, that is awesome. Okay, spell that out for me, Bessame. B E S A M E. And the last E has like that apostrophe over it. It's, it means kiss me, I think. Oh. Um, in Spanish. So, Besame. And uh, a woman, uh, I forgot her name, but she created the business out of her love of vintage. She wanted to um, do this. And it's just, it's amazing. It's based uh, out of California. That's smart. And she probably just did a ton of research and trying to track down she all the did. colors it's, the original it's really, recipes. It's really like a, um, uh, what do you call it? A scientific thing almost because you're trying to not only recreate these shades exactly like they were, but you're trying to make them with more healthier ingredients. So like for people who have certain allergies and right. cruelty-free. all it's, it's like really the best of both worlds. You have the healthier aspects and you have the exact shade from whatever year it is that you're selecting from. I'm going to look that up because right now I put a matte lipstick on that I'm fussing with as we speak. And it just Matt's keeps waking up. <laughs> I hate them. And I don't know why you can't. Like I went, I joined Ipsy. Do you know what that mm -hmm. is? I do. And every single color they have sent me has been matte. And I'm like, I am a gloss girl. I need sheen. I need something yeah. other than matte. I like the best of both. Like I like a good matte, but I like my sheen too. And sometimes yeah. I will combine the two, like almost like I'm making my own formula here. <laughs> but I will say that Milani Cosmetics. I've uh, heard of them. I, yes. Their lipsticks, and especially their mattes, they are the least fussy for me. Mm -hmm. um, and then I like NYX. I like a lot of their lipsticks. So NYX, Milani, and Besame. And I do have a Smashbox lipstick that a friend gave me because she does not wear red. And I don't know if you can get it, but it's a really good vintage shade of red to me. And I don't mm. even remember the name of it, but I'm going to be so sad when that sample runs out because <laughs> I'm going, now I'm going to have to go buy it. And, you know, Smashbox is not usually cheap. So Right. Well, you message me that name later. <laughs> yes, I will. I have to look at the bottom of the thing. <laughs> so other than red lipstick, um, were you drawn, you were drawn to vintage at a young age. I can, I can totally, yes. um, like, I feel that because people always ask me, when did you start loving vintage? And I was like, I think from birth. I don't know why, but it was like it was imparted into you in the womb. <laughs> yes. And my mom always tells the story of like, my sister would, we were sitting in the back of the car and she would point at this like new, you know, tricked out car. And she'd be like, I want that one, mommy. And then I would point to like the 1965 pink Cadillac convertible. And I was like, yes. that is my car. 
Right. Well, it has I don't know. It just I feel like that vintage has more character to it. It has more substance, whereas yeah. everything's so cookie cutter today. It is. I mean, yeah. if you think if you think about it, though, back then everything was cookie cutter then too, because that was the norm. Right. But but for today, it it stands out in a crowd, and it has its own moment to shine, even brighter than it did when it was the norm. And I think it's also to the fact that it's always well-made. Like if I have things Quality. that have survived on this mm-hmm. earth for 70 years, right. they were, you know, kitchen items I'm talking about. Like yes. this vintage jade, like Fire King bowls mm-hmm. that you know have been dropped and, and oh, yeah. banged up, but yet they're still here. And mm-hmm. then my new stuff from Target, and I love Target, but my new stuff from Target, right. it's like <laughs> I breathe on it wrong and it cracks. Yes. And it, you, you use it twice and then it's like, bye. <laughs> yeah. Like, Peace out. You know, I, I the, hate that. Whereas, I whereas I, I mean, I have things, you know, when my grandparents passed away, we inherited so much and you, it's, it's, it's you're torn between wanting to use this mm-hmm. and not wanting to use it, but you feel like you can because it's withstood time. Right. But then you don't want to accidentally break it and then, you know, ruin it's, it's, um, longevity so right (laughs) so you're like only on special occasions like the holidays or something i don't i don't want to be the one to end this legacy (laughs) right yes legacy that's the good word i was looking for yeah (laughs) exactly well Um, other than um i mean so you and i we have a very similar story that we both came to it young mm -hmm. we attached to it we love it and from that um it feels like home (laughs) yes it feels like home and it feels like you know i am my best when i'm 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 at home in myself when I'm wearing something vintage or I'm shopping yes. for it. There's a different level of happiness when I come home with a vintage fine right. compared to coming home like with something from TJ Maxx. Right. Yes, yes. I, I always say I I struggle with sometimes what people think like we all do and yeah. If I had my way, honestly, and I really didn't give a care, I would be dressing vintage or vintage inspired every single day of my life. Yeah. Like because a I feel like shirt, I'm right? in my own skin. And it's yeah. not that I, you know, don't like my t-shirts or, you know, modern clothes. I will definitely wear them. But I don't know the, the joy that I feel when I'm just being truly myself, which is an old soul, obviously. It's just, it, it doesn't compare to anything else. Yeah. I feel that. I definitely feel that. Well, let's get over to talking about one of the things I think is a very, you know, it's, it's a positive movie. Yes. It's that movie. It's a good movie. It's that warm, fuzzy movie. Yes. Where it just makes the world right for two hours while you watch it. You can escape and just um, absorb the, the, you know, as they say, the happy vibes. Yes. Today it's, it's an escape into just a wonderland. And it's kind of like going, I mean, what people don't know about the movie, if they've never seen it is it feels like you're at a play, right? Because yes, they have all of these musical numbers mm-hmm. in the, in the plot seamlessly stitched yes. in the plot. So you'll be watching a scene between all these actors and they're kind of developing relationships. And then all of a sudden you're thrown into an elaborate, colorful, music number a full five minute music number exactly not a bad one in the bunch either (laughs) no I mean even though let's talk about that for a second because so many people online have said that they do not get that you know the modern dance 
that Danny Kane did. Um, the theater, the theater, that one. Oh, yeah, yes, choreography, the choreography, choreography thank number. You. Yes, that's the only complaint I hear, to be honest, if anybody was going to complain about anything. Yeah, and I'm like, that was fun. I mean, that that shifted it from, like, giving me what was pretty standard musical numbers of the time. Right. Something that was so weird and modern dance and well, abstract. And I think he was almost poking fun at how dramatic that you know people and actors can be the stage mm -hmm. it was campy in the best possible way it 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 was that way on purpose right and that's what I love about it and who else who better to articulate this or you know execute this than Danny Kay I mean right he was a genius in his own right and I think it also really showcases how beautifully Vera Ellen could tap dance, like just the incredible when she does, when she comes down yeah. and starts that what's called a nerve tap. Yes, the tap. It blew my mind. Like, and that's one of the hardest things to do, the nerve tap. And so I just, my mouth is clearly open during the scene. Well, I had to Google it because I was like, that's not real, right? Right. You think like, it's not. Right. Because I was like, her ankle bones don't move like that. She's a human. She's not mm -hmm. jello. I don't right. <laughs> And then you find out how how just perfect this woman is, right? <laughs> Golly day. And I always make a, like, every single year when I sit down to watch it, I'm watching it and I'm like, homegirl is so thin. Like, where are her organs? But if she's dancing like that every day, no mm -hmm. wonder. I mean, she well, could eat steak. I do steak. have a bit of trivia on that. Okay. Really quick segue, Julia and I are about to speak briefly on an eating disorder that Vera Ellen suffered with earlier on in her career. If you are uncomfortable with this information, please skip ahead 30 seconds into the show. And if you or anyone you know is suffering from an eating disorder, please know that you can reach out to NIDA, it's the National Eating Disorder Association, by calling or texting 1-800-931-2237. Back to the show. She, uh, she did deal with an eating disorder, but oh, she had one. She did, because, but it wasn't so much to be thin, just to be thin. It was because of her, I believe, now I could be wrong, mm -hmm. but I think it was just the pressure from always having to be in shape as a dancer. You, you, yeah. you have a lot of pressure on you to maintain your figure and obviously to maintain a healthy weight, but she's right. just sort of, I think, took it a little more intensely. Now, I, from what I heard she had gotten over the disorder by this film, by the mm -hmm. time it was filmed, but the effects of the disorder had taken a toll on her body. And so the reason she's always wearing a turtleneck, I don't know if you've noticed, yes, is because it aged her neck a bit. Okay, because she was 33 at the time of this movie. Yes, and apparently somehow, but I had seen, but I've seen photos of her at a premiere with, her neck being visible and I personally thought she looked normal so may maybe it was the lighting I don't know but I, I think she's gorgeous well you know what this kind of leads us to our first little trivia thing because yes it does yeah so there were huge age differences mm -hmm. in which is not uncommon in old Hollywood casting by the way <laughs> right not at all but you know that could have been it that when she was standing beside um Betty yes that's a good point she and they were filming they were like oh you've got you know because as we get older we get a little loose neck she they mm -hmm. they used to look at women in these films as you know like hypercritically very much so and what we might consider today is there's nothing to be 
critical about they back right. then might have. Oh yeah. Aging like ponds, mm-hmm. cold cream. Like there was a whole campaign at the time of oh yeah, being even more, um, I think harder on women. Cause we, we have the counter revolution happening now, which is like aging gracefully. Right. Right. We do. They did not have that. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, the I pressure think, was incredible. Right. Right. So all of these age differences, like, did you know, and of course you know this, but <laughs> for our listeners out there, you've got Betty Haynes, um, Judy, Judy. So Betty was seven years younger, even mm-hmm. though she was playing an older character. Right. Being Crosby, who was Bob Wallace and played Betty's love interest, the youngest one on set, was 51. So there was a 25 year age gap between those two. It's incredible. And what I think, and I was talking about this to a friend of mine, and she and I were both saying how I think Rosemary Clooney, who plays Betty, mm-hmm. she got away with being the older sister because. I feel Judy played by Vera Ellen. She has a very exotic look to her. Yes. And sometimes that can almost be taken as the younger one, if that makes sense. Whereas mm-hmm. Judy, you know, be- excuse me, Betty looks like she would be very sensible and the older. Yes. One. And I don't know. Maybe that's so out of place. To no, say I that, feel but- like, I mean, we were just talking about our own heritage, our own genetic makeup. And I feel like <laughs> if you are like straight up English or Welsh, like I am, mm-hmm. um, I feel like you look a little bit more authoritative. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm going to tell you to sit down and do your homework. <laughs> right, right. And where Judy, she just, I don't, her hair was a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. She had just a facial structure that just exotic is the only word that comes to my mind. Or like small and petite, you know, yes. like, like small yes. features, small and- little face. And the and even her dancing, like Mandy in particular, the musical uh, number Mandy, that really to me was like, okay, this woman is she is just the best at what she does. And it just it came across a little hint of just I don't want to say sexy, but when 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 the train off of her costume comes off, that's when the magic happens. And well, it just oh yeah, it was it's <laughs> engaging. You know oh, what it is it because she engages with the camera. She's looking when she's doing those steps and coming down those steps. Oh. And she's doing the sachet across the floor. Oh she's looking directly into the camera. So she is it's like I know what I'm doing and I'm enjoying it. <laughs> yes, and one of the things that I studied in college was the male gaze, mm-hmm. and um, there was you know a lot of times whenever people would paint portraiture. Um, mm-hmm. it allowed of women, you know, it was, and this was old, like I'm talking about you're, I'm talking about Renaissance paintings, yes. mm-hmm. allowing men to look at a woman who was looking back with confidence at them. Yes. Is it has always been a trick in which artists play with right. the viewer. And so I think mm-hmm. that translates into well, this movie. To them. Yes. Where Vera Ellen's dancing in not a super seductive way, but because she's holding that eye contact, I feel like the mm-hmm. producer was like, you're going to get male viewers. Yes. And well, what did I just say? It almost has a hint of sexiness or a little bit of, you know, spiciness to it. And I think it's just that confident gaze. Yeah. It, 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 it comes across as attractive. Yeah. I think so too. And that's always like a, also an old Hollywood or like even new Hollywood. Like whenever you are sitting at a bar and you're being filmed and then you catch eyes with the love interest across mm-hmm. the bar or whatever, like that's well, and when they, when they do it to the camera, it's borderline breaking that wall. 
they call it the fourth wall or the third wall. I can't remember, but it's, it's like, it's almost taking away the fact that there's, there's a screen between us. It's like they're, they're looking into your soul as, as if they were in front of you in real life. Okay. So speaking of theater and mm-hmm. movies and all the tricks that they play, mm-hmm. I'm sure you know this, but White Christmas was praised for being in VistaVision. Glorious VistaVision. <laughs> Glorious VistaVision. <laughs> and it instantly gained notoriety and buzz the year it was released for being in VistaVision. It was a brand new process of projecting on a wide flat screen, which we are very familiar with today, but then it was new and it led to better pictorial quality and better on-screen colors. And the colors of White Christmas are unmatched. They are so rich and beautiful. That's one of the things that stands out to me. It's why red and white from going back. I'm sorry, but you can suspect Mandy is probably one of my favorite numbers in the Mm -hmm. But red and white is one of my favorite color combinations. And why is that? Because of White Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, and for those listeners out there that have not seen the movie, you're going to know exactly what part of the movie she's talking about. I mean, not only because they're singing Mandy, right? But because Mm -hmm. it is a huge production, multiple steps. Um, Everything is blinged out in red and white. One of the biggest numbers in the film, I think. Yeah. It's not bigger than the last one, right? Yeah. To me, choreography um, would come in in second in terms of how many people were in that number. So Mandy, I think, was the largest. It used the most people, we'll say that. It's incredible. Even the tambourines have her face on it. Yeah. I love that little... (laughs) That thing they like did. the fifth or sixth time I saw the movie, I noticed that. And I was like, man, they didn't, every single square inch of this set was covered in something bedazzled and, and glorious. It's like little Easter eggs. So you, you watch it as many times as I have, <laughs> uh, which I'm not going to lie to the listeners. It, it probably would come close to a hundred times over the years. I, I saw the film for the first time when I was 11 and I am now almost 28. So a lot of white Christmas has been watched. <laughs> and that's the great thing too, is even though you've watched it that many times, I bet Never every single time old. you watch it, it doesn't get old. And you also notice tiny little things. Yes, you really do. Because for me, I take in the whole film. It's the costumes, the music, the sets, the the furniture, every, I'm, it's very detailed, especially a film I love, like white Christmas. I mean, even um, I love the scene when it's, count your blessings uh Mm. just just the 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 hearth and the coziness of the ski lodge like i want to live there (laughs) yes now did you know i mean here's another little factoid that we that we came to Mm -hmm. um bing crosby of course who played bob he made most of that liverwurst and sandwich and buttermilk bit that Mm -hmm. he you know, each sandwich has a different meaning that it's going to turn into a dream. Like Mm -hmm. hot turkey means a tall redhead. Right. Can you believe that he just made that up on the spot? And they were so- lived. Yes. Incredible talent. And I love that they left it in there. It's, I've noticed something with Bing in particular, a lot of things are really just Bing. Like when he, um, when they were at the um, restaurant in Florida and yeah, it was Danny Kaye's character, Phil, for some reason, I have trouble remembering that name, Phil. <laughs> um, I, I, it's Danny just Danny K to me, you know. 
uh, when he was asking if they were interested in children, you know, Judy and Betty, um, Bing's over there muttering to himself, oh, Nick's, Nick's. That mm-hmm. was Bing. Bing would say that in real life, I read. Now, also, in that, um, in that scene in Florida, uh-huh. and I know you know this, but <laughs> I was dumbstruck, and I just found this out, to know that that dance sequence between Bob and yeah. Phil, where they kind of play <laughs> sisters, sisters, was not scripted, and no. they did that themselves. They were just goofing off and just having fun, and it was so good. It was worth putting in the film. Yeah. And what I love even more is that Bing could not stop laughing at what Danny was doing. <laughs> I'm, and, and that's all like legitimate. And you can tell because he's not like, he's not being fake. And it was hilarious the way that he was kind of jumping about the stage. Yes. <laughs> yes. And it, it just, it was so, it's one of my favorite parts. And like you said, you could tell it was authentic. And one reason I feel like you could tell it was authentic. And I don't know how to even describe this. Something I noticed when I watched the film the first few times ever, they did not look like their characters, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's like I saw facial expressions from being Crosby I had never seen before. Right. And the same with Danny. It's like, th- this is this is authentic. This right. is a real reaction. This is not a fake real reaction. And I think I know what you're talking about. It was Bing Crosby's eyes when he laughed. Yes. It's like his his mouth was open in laughter and he was almost like squinting. Yes. Or it just, yeah, it just brings you so much joy. It does. (laughs) I know exactly what you're talking about because I made like a mental check in my head. I was like, oh yeah, that's like super genuine. You can't fake that. Yeah. I think it's toward the end of that number, actually, if I'm remembering right. It's when they're just ending it and you can hear Danny giggling as well. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. That's like, that's one of my favorites that, I mean, when they, when Vera Ellen and Rosemary Clooney do it, Mm -hmm. I love that. But yes, it's like the polished version. Yes. Yes. And it's funny and it's, it's something that just sticks in your head. But when, Mm -hmm. when it's, you know, followed up with so much charisma and humor. It just yeah. Yeah. pulls at the heartstrings. It does. It does. Now, since we're talking about dancing, I'm going to throw another factoid out there. Another little hidden fact. <laughs> um, there was a very famous dancer hiding in plain sight in the entire movie. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yes. And to me, if anybody, um, knows anything it's going to be so obvious <laughs> even if you don't know his name you're going to be like I know this person <laughs> right and that was me because like I hadn't watched okay so who we're talking about is and I don't know how to pronounce his last name I don't either it's I'm going to try George Chakiris that may be correct I'm, okay. I'm trying to remember when I've heard interviews <laughs> yeah that's what we're going with I think we're going to call him George <laughs> I think it's a Greek name if I'm not mistaken as well okay and I'm terrible pronouncing person. those, unfortunately. <laughs> Me too. But he, okay, so who we're talking about is the, um, he won an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor as Bernardo in West Side Story. Oh, yes. And you know it once you see it and you're like, because oh. for me, when I was watching, I was like, that guy looks real familiar. He, of course, didn't get his start there. He's too much of a professional dancer to like start with right. White Christmas. But I wonder where in that lo- timeline... Mm-hmm. You know, do you know when West Side Story came out? Yes. So White Christmas came out in four, uh, 54. 
And mm-hmm. West Side Story um, was released in 1961. Okay. So, so you, had, you had, um what, was that seven years, I think? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm making sure my math is up to date. <laughs> 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 it was not my strong point. Um, but yeah, Same. I think about seven years. So a lot happened in seven years, apparently. Yeah. And I think it's because of White Christmas that he got to where he was on West Side Story. Oh, for sure. Because this was the other thing about White Christmas was that it was a blockbuster. Like mm-hmm. you'll even films that we love today, you'll look back and see how much the movie grossed. And you're like, man, it, I mean, like comparatively, it wasn't that big. But White mm-hmm. Christmas, I think because it was VistaVision. Yes. It had Bing Crosby in it. In it. Mm-hmm. it was going to be a huge, huge film. And it was. Right. And, and, also, and you think about it because it's a wonderful life as huge as a Christmas film that is now today, it was not a blockbuster when it came out. Yeah. Whereas White Christmas, you might think, well, it came out in the summer too, if I'm remembering correctly. Oh, did it? Yes. And so you might think, why is there a Christmas movie in the summer? (laughs) And, but it was a big hit. Whereas it's a wonderful life was kind of like a flop in the beginning. And so I think also what could have, helped white christmas be such a hit in the summertime is that even though it revolves around christmas and i know this sounds a little contradictory it doesn't always feel like a christmas film because people might think oh it's going to just be christmas trees and snow right Right. no it really is not until a certain point in the film the very end that you get that christmas feeling or that christmas um the focus is on Christmas. Right. Like Christmas overload. Right. It doesn't feel like you're almost, you know, you drink too much hot chocolate or something. You're (laughs) sick with Christmas. No. And another thing while I'm on this topic is that it's a musical. Yes, but it doesn't feel musical. If that makes sense. Like for me, I love musicals, but some of them, I'm just like, no, thank you. Okay. Yeah. Like, every two, uh, you can't get two words in without a song, right? Yeah. This, it has the perfect balance of just regular, um, you know, verbiage. There's, you know, there's not a song that describes everything that's going on in the movie. There's enough space and enough conversation to balance out the songs. And when the song starts, wonderful but it doesn't feel like your typical musical and that may be why I love it so much I think that's very well put that's beautifully Mm -hmm. put because I get the same exact feeling and I haven't really thought about that but you saying that just now it's Mm -hmm. like that is exactly why it's so well placed Mm -hmm. you've got a really good dynamic between all the characters that's fully flushed out they have enough you know speaking in between those musical scenes and when those musical scenes happen they're they're in there so flawlessly that you're like, oh yeah, of course we're gonna watch. And you it. don't want them to stop. That's right. just that you're you're wanting you're wanting you're asking you're left asking for more, which is always great in my opinion. Yeah. Whereas because like I said, I love musicals, but man, you get somewhere there may be like two words in the whole movie and the rest of it's song, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> all right, <laughs> and we're done. Well, right. you know what? This leads us to our final point. Our final little factoid, because we're talking about musical numbers, the mm-hmm. end, that last musical number where they're dressed in beautiful red velvet with oh, white God. fur cuffs. Yes. And they're around a Christmas tree in the end. Oh. Did you know that the snow was asbestos? <laughs> <laughs> oh, just hearing that word brings to mind all the commercials. <laughs> and I'm just like, 
what goes to my mind is like there's children on that stage <laughs> well yes and what's funny is that the first time I found out about them using asbestos for snow was when I um, was looking up trivia for Holiday Inn which Bing Crosby was also in and they had the song White Christmas in and from that point on I, I always wondered every time I saw snow is that asbestos in any old movie it probably movie? was and it's, it apparently was because they were still using it in 54 because Holiday Inn was 42. Yeah. So, And Holiday Inn was filmed at that same inn. They just, they feel like they go hand in hand because there are a lot of similarities. Right. You have, you know, Bing Crosby, Fred Astaire, and then, you, you know, you hit the kind of the, they're a team. And then mm-hmm. you have Bing Crosby and Danny Kaye who are like a, a, a team together. So that team element carried through to White Christmas in 1954. And I believe they were trying to get Fred Astaire in the beginning for White Christmas and he wasn't able to. And then they were trying to get Donald O'Connor. He wasn't able to. And third time was the charm Danny Kaye came along. And I'm so glad he did. Me too. Because if yeah. it wasn't for that, I would probably have not known much about Danny Kay. <laughs> <laughs> or I mean even just love the movie as much right. it just wouldn't have been the same he, didn't, well, he, he, the- he adds he adds the, the the spice to it that just makes it's like the cherry on top yes. without Danny I mean I don't think that I would love it as much no no there's no way every every character there every actor mm-hmm. is so seamlessly fit together that there is no replacing any of them there yes they 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 fulfill their roles so beautifully yeah and my aunt was she's a white christmas fan as well and um niece if you're listening hello (laughs) but um she was telling me recently she's oh just can you imagine being back then and seeing Bing crosby and just swooning and i'm thinking in my head i love Bing crosby but i i'm more swooning over dan i'm a dan K girl (laughs) well this was so fun it was i'm gonna have you back on next time i need like an in-house Hollywood movie aficionado. Oh, I'm so honored. This is my very first podcast. And I just, I'm so blessed that I was able to share the experience with you and that you were my first podcast experience. You made it feel just like a conversation. Good. I'm new at this. So you know what? It is a learning curve, but I think we did. I think we did pretty well. Well, I would have never known that you're new at this. So uh, you're, you're <laughs> knocking it out of the ballpark. <laughs> well, thank you. Okay. Well, I mean, we'll talk again soon, but do you want to go ahead and just tell everyone where they can find you online? Yes. So I'm on Instagram. This is how Julia and I connected. Mm-hmm. Thank goodness for Instagram. And like she mentioned previously, my account is that's and then a dot. So, and then another dot <laughs> classic. And I hate those dots, but for some reason that was the only thing that was available. Oh, no. And I... um, it's where she mentioned before. I just, I just post vintage, whether it be old Hollywood, old magazines, everyday life. It's really like a, um, a potluck of vintage as I like to refer to it to my friends. Yes. And now that they know you, they know that they can ask you all sorts of vintage questions. Yes. Please do communicate with me. Sometimes I might be a little slow because I do get a lot in my DMs, but I am always up to chat about vintage and it brings joy to me and it brings joy for me to talk to other people who share that same love. I love it. Well, Julia, thank you so much for joining. Well, thank you, Julia. (laughs) All right. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, too.
of a white Christmas Just like the ones I used to know As always, rate, review, and share this podcast. Last week, we had a review from a Jamie Rugg 122 who said, I really enjoyed this, informative and funny. I can't wait for more episodes. Well, Jamie, I hope you liked this episode, and I hope tonight as you sleep, you dream of a lovely Vermont inn covered in snow as Bing Crosby croons White Christmas in the background. And since this is our last episode before the big holiday, I want to say Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to all of our listeners. I'll see you in 2023. Actually, I won't see you. I'll I'll just be here talking at you um, since this is more of like a talking listening forum. Anyways, bye.